listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. This show is about commercial art, making a good living, and making great art. It's a tightrope that is incredibly difficult to walk, and I'm going to be your circus leader with the tightrope. You know, uh, anyway, <laughs> this one's off to a good start. Uh, I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. You can find my work at Andy J. Pizza on Instagram. Thanks to our syndicate, Illustration Age. You can find this show at illustrationage.com slash talk. I really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new fluid engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it. Got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him like, you should go check it out. You're gonna be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was gonna tell you about this new site. Anyway, go check it out, antijpizza.com if you wanna see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Yushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. real quick just one other thing I want to say if you get something out of this episode if it moves your soul and moves the needle in your creative business would you consider sharing it with friends or someone who you think it will help or online I feel that you know sometimes when you're a creative person you feel like there's such a steep competition that you don't want to give someone else a leg up. Let me just say from personal experience, I create hours and hours and hours of content to help thousands of creative people to do better and it's only increased my own, uh, I don't know where I'm going with that. It's only made my, my creative business way, way better. I feel like we are better when we share and help each other. So anyway, I'd really appreciate it if you get something out of this episode. 
if you would consider sharing it with someone who you think it would benefit or with your audience. Super appreciate it. Thanks, guys. So here's the thing. I know probably some of you have never even been to a pro basketball game, maybe even pro sports game of of any kind. I think that's probably safe to say. Now, I grew up in a family who is obsessed with sports. They're obsessed with basketball and football and all the balls. There's so many balls that, that there are different types of these balls that you could <laughs> There's so many things you can do in these sporting uh, events, but my family is especially interested in basketball. My little brother is named Jordan, after Michael Jordan, uh, and we lived in Indiana, so we went to tons and tons and tons of Pacer games. I've probably been oh, I've been to probably over a hundred Pacer games in my uh, life, and I can safely say out of the hundreds of hours sat in that stadium, I probably haven't spent more than a good 25 minutes watching the game. And it's not for a lack of trying. Like when we would go there, I would try to care. Even before, so many times before we would go to the game, I thought, Andy, when you get in there, you're going to watch these men play basketball and you're going to like it. And I would get, sit down, and just five minutes later, you know, my ADD would be like, that cotton candy guy is hilarious. And I'd be like, oh man, I'm supposed to be watching the game. Or I would be watching the game and my eyes would just glaze over and I would notice the sea of people and how similar they look to, you know, in like a pile of insects, just everybody moving in these random ways. This is what happens when I try to watch sports. Uh, and, and so, you know, eventually I just gave up. I just thought, it's not for me, whatever. But I still liked going to the games, mainly because I used them as an opportunity to make a spectacle of myself. You may have noticed, <laughs> if you've listened to this podcast very long, you've probably noticed that I don't mind a little bit of attention uh, here and there, and uh, I would just use it as an opportunity to act like a complete moron, make a fool of myself, and get some undue attention publicly. I'm a big fan of public weirdness, always always have been, ever since I was a little kid. You know, when I was a little kid, we would go to these games, and I would do dances. I would be dancing in the, whenever there was music. And my older brother, who is a massive basketball fan, would be like, Dad, make him sit down. Like this, like, this is not what a Pacer game is for. And my dad would be like, let him enjoy it in any way that he wants to. Very supportive. Um, <laughs> but I would, you know, sometimes get on the TV prompter by being so weird. And... You know what else? I've even in my adult life, if I happen to go to a game with my family, I am pretty dang good at getting free t-shirts, the little miniature pacer balls that they throw out. And the way that I do it is whenever everybody's freaking out, screaming, trying to get the attention of Boomer the Pacers Panther, who's got the t-shirt gun or, or throwing it out in the stands, I don't do 
the same thing as everyone else, right? I don't just try to yell louder or wave my hands more furiously. Like that's the, for whatever reason, we think uh, the logical answer to get attention, to stand out, is just to perform better than anyone else. But the problem is everybody there is thinking the same thing. And unless your vocal cords are just somehow freakishly superhuman, that is not going to help you out. And so while everybody's saying, me, pick me, Mick P, uh, Mick P. <laughs> no, I meant pick me, pick me, pick me. While everyone's doing that, I say, and do like crazy other weirder pitches that get that cut through all the other uh, sounds that the similar sound waves. And if you start with this different approach, that's how you get the free extra extra large Pacers t-shirt. And today on the show, I want to apply this magical yeehaw to your art career because I think I am not, okay, I'm not the type of person that's going to tell you that making great creative work doesn't count. I'm saying it's the baseline. If you want to buy in to play the game, you've got to be on that long haul of making fantastic creative work and you need to get better and better and better and better. However, do not be fooled by the illusion that this is going to be enough all on its own. I do not believe that the creative industry, uh, any creative industry, is a pure meritocracy. It's not all about the best art wins. It takes more creativity and strategy just in terms of figuring out how to stand out from the crowd. So apply that same creativity, not just to your art, but to your marketing, to your, to, to your approach to standing out from the crowd. And so I'm not saying that it's not about good work. You need good work. But I'm going to make the assumption that you either have great work today or you're working on having great work. Uh, there's a piece by illustrator John Bergerman. Bergerman, I'm a big fan of him, and uh, he's a real fun guy to follow on Instagram. But he has a piece that says, uh, don't try to be better, try to be different. And I think the race to being the most impressive illustrator in the universe has already been won years and years ago. Like it's already been done to be freakishly talented at representing, you know, realism. And there's only so much power in that anyway, especially these days when we have a camera that can just take a photo of it. And so how do you rise above other than just being better than anyone else. That's what we're going to talk about today on the show. I've just listed all of the things that I've used that have effectively 
helped me craft out a niche, helped me craft out, uh, carve out an audience and rise above the sea of people vying for the same opportunities. And that's what we're gonna talk about. All right, number one, number one, have a side plot, a side plot. This is Steve Martin and his crazy banjo skills. Zach Galifianakis actually did it later by performing stand-up while playing sad piano music. Uh, But what is the thing that you have that's a superpower that's actually alongside your day job or or the main creative mission in your life. So for me, this was massive. This is why I started with us. This is step one for me, was applying this ability to do public speaking and this ability to think of verbal analogies instead of just visual analogies as an illustrator. A few years ago, back in 2014, I did a tiny little local talk uh, (laughs) and I just had this sense that there was something uh, special about it. It just felt unlike anything I'd ever done. And at the time I thought, you know, I think your initial thought is maybe I should give up my day job and start pursuing a totally different career. And I'm really glad that I didn't do that because that would have been dumb. But uh, what I did instead was think, how can I leverage, how can I leverage this thing that I'm doing right here that's kind of weird into my day job, my illustration career? How can I use uh, this experience that I had of a different type of skill, a different type of energy, and enhance what I'm already doing? And if I combine both of these things, all of a sudden, it's a weirder skill. And there wasn't a lot of illustrators, actually. There aren't a ton of illustrators um, who, you know, I think traditionally illustrators tend to be people who don't like to be on stage. They like their artwork to speak for itself. Again, tons of exceptions to that rule. But that combination just helped me to stand out. And so here's a big question. I heard Tim Ferriss ask his uh, interviewee this question, and it's a big, big deal. What would your friends and family say is your superpower? Why do they call you up when they need help? What is it that they're looking for? Are they looking for someone to encourage them? Are they looking for someone to help them problem solve? Are they looking for someone to, I don't know, take care of their dog? Maybe you're a dog, a crazy dog whisperer. How can you take this, these other unique things about you and bake them in to your creative career so you can stand out in a unique way. There's a billion and one ways to do this. This I'm gonna spend a little bit more time on this point because I think it's so essential and so overlooked. Now, I honestly think that the most creative act that you will do, the biggest project you're gonna work on in your lifetime is your career. And I'm so passionate about helping people build their career. We have people to help in every area of our lives, but we don't have people to help navigate and create the thing that we spend the most time on this planet doing, which is work, our career. 
And so I see so many illustrators that are so brilliantly talented, so many designers, so many photographers that are amazing, these writers that bring all this creativity to the work that they do, but they don't apply that same creativity to building their career and standing out in their market. And one of the ways I've done this that's been so effective is to notice what is special about me other than my ability to draw or make pictures. And how do I creatively create a bridge between those two things? At first, it's going to seem impossible. It's going to seem like a contradiction because everything new before the creativity has been built is an unpaved wilderness. And when you're stood in front of an unpaved wilderness, it seems impossible to make a connection. But we know that that means it's the real opportunity for creativity. So before you make up your mind that your side plot, that your super side power, (laughs) before you decide that that couldn't possibly impact your creative career, get into the open mode, get out of that judgment and think, Are there any ways that I can use what else is special about me to impact my main gig? I promise I'm going to go faster on these. Number two, (laughs) style versus substance, aesthetic versus content. Can you make a connection between two seemingly contradictory aesthetics and content? Can you do style that's like Wes Anderson, but substance like that's Martin Scorsese? Could you do a horror film that was Wes Anderson? We saw that thing making the rounds years ago on the internet. How can you take a style and a substance that seemingly don't go together? Maybe you can do, uh, maybe you could do traditionally editorial style and mix it with fashion illustration. Maybe there are ways that you can combine. Recently, something I've talked a lot about, but something I'll keep talking about is aesthetically, I work from a more modern mid-century approach to color and, you know, minimalism and shape, and I'm mixing it with content that feels more psychedelic. The things I'm drawing are these weird surrealistic things. So how can you take style and substance that seem like they don't go together and mash them up? Okay, two heads are better than one. Number three, collaborate. So many of you have never actively collaborated in a major way with somebody else. I can guarantee you it's so much easier to make noise if there's two of you being weird together. And I would just encourage you to say, hey, it's not just uh, one plus one equals two. One plus one equals three. You've got you, you've got their network, and then you've got your new network that you've combined together. That sauce, that secret sauce, when it gets combined into, into <laughs> and when, I can, when you combine, it's getting too weird. Listen, when you collaborate with somebody else, your ability to make a ruckus increases threefold. You need to take your uh, animatronic robot and combine it with others. And when you do, you get the giant Zord. 
right? The Zord is the thing. It's not just you and them, it's a new entity. So I encourage you, try it out. You'd be blown away by how much easier it is to gain traction when two of you are sawing this thing. Number four, a new what? A new what? Which means just a medium. That's what I mean by what or a new platform or avenue. Uh, Gary Vaynerchuk is a really brilliant marketer. He's definitely got his own style. It's not my style, but uh, it's his vibe. And, uh, you know, for whatever you want to say about this chap, he is brilliant in his views on marketing that works today. And one of the things that he says that is so brilliant is don't get romantic about the what. You wanna get romantic about the why, the core essence of your energy. You need to get romantic about the, what goes in the container, not the container, because the containers shift and mold. And what about those bands that struck it big on MySpace? What if they got romantic about MySpace? They would be in trouble today, right? So how do you find mediums New mediums where there's less friction. One of the things I keep seeing is my friends and, and, and uh, colleagues and, and, and creatives that I watch going into these bottleneck situations like kids TV or picture books or whatever it is, the, all of the things that there's all this romance about uh, going into these mediums where there's all this romance and hype and, and years of awards and all of this prestige and it just creates this bottleneck situation. And so Gary V talks about where can you find attention for the cheapest buy-in? What platforms, what mediums have not just, that aren't just new, but they also have a, an explosive audience ready to participate and take part. For me, you know, a few years ago, it was a good time to get into podcasts. I wouldn't encourage someone to start one right now. Um, I would say find maybe a different platform that, I, I mean, <laughs> I'm not trying to discourage anybody from starting their podcast. I'm just saying that, you know, it's gotten noisier and noisier in here, but I'm sure there are new platforms, new mediums, new technologies. Uh, I see people streaming their artwork live these days. That seems like a new thing that people are paying attention to, but don't get caught up in the romance of a medium. By the time there's fanfare and a, like when I started doing podcasting, one of the big challenges for me was it felt so unromantic and a big shift for me was seeing podcasting as an art form. And I really, really shifted my views on that. I thought you could make people laugh and cry and, and, and get excited and, and all that jazz through this medium, even though nobody's handing out awards, even though there's no Oscars for podcasts. And maybe I could dive super deep and use my core essence in this way and make a breakthrough. All right. So that is a new what. Number five, go to your your high tolerance areas. Okay, this is uh, this is all about this idea that one of the ways that you're special is that you have an incredibly high tolerance for things that other people don't. 
What is the thing that you can spend time and energy doing that other people would burn out on? And I talk about this, I call it the Forrest Gump effect. It's this idea that if someone goes on a jog around the block, nobody's perking up, nobody's looking out their window like, what's this guy up to? What's going on? But if that guy runs to the other side of the country, we think he has all the answers for every problem in the universe. And so what is the thing that you can spend time and energy doing longer and more fervently than anyone else? For me, my Nod project was like this where I did a new character every weekday for a year. I, I did that, there was 260 characters. The day that I stopped, I thought, I feel like I'm just getting started. Like I could do this for so long and I built that project to be something so authentic to me that I knew that I would never stop. I would never want to stop. And the podcast is the same. I've had a lot of people say, aren't you afraid that you're gonna run out of topics or things to say or you're just gonna get sick of it? And I'm like, no. <laughs> I know for a fact that this type of energy is where I like to spend my time and I never get I never run out of things to talk about because I'm making stuff all the time. I'm having breakthroughs. I'm always thinking of new strategies. Uh, we just had Kate Bingham and Burt on the podcast. She did this in an amazing way. She drew every one of her credit card statements until they were paid off, like drew them, like took that credit card statement that comes in the mail. She took it and she literally just drew every number in line that comes on that statement. And that high level of tolerance, that willingness to go the distance, it's amazing. People are interested in that weird tolerance level. All right, number six, don't be boring. Sounds obvious, but you'd be blown away. For me, that's been a big shift lately. Before I make something, just ask myself, is this boring? And I think the reason we get to this place is because we get obsessed with the idea of good. Good, meaning slick, presentable, well-crafted. Go check out the talk Shape of Design by Frank Camaro, uh, and that is spelled C-H-I-M-E-R-O. that talk changed my whole perspective on everything, and that's not hyperbole. It really did. Well, it is hyperbole, but it really did. And he talks about how within the day and age that we're living, the, the internet is become, has become incredibly boring to most of us because it's so slick. It's so well designed that it's become increasingly boring. And instead, he talks about this, uh, I think it's at the Ace Hotel, Uh, he talks about their internet page. Instead of just like a, you know, when you log on to the internet at Starbucks, it comes up with this little box that says, do you accept? And it's just, you know, a slick little thing that says, accept the term, da 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 da. What this hotel, when you log on to the Wi-Fi, all that comes up is a giant red button that says internet. And you click it and you're logged on. And so what are the ways that you're just phoning in quote unquote good work, well-crafted work? 
I think we get so bogged down with making that kind of work that we don't unlock our best work, our most interesting work, stuff that's not boring. And I just, <laughs> I felt like I was being a little bit boring by just talking in that monotone voice. So I just went for a new way of saying boring. So ask yourself, is it boring? And what would it look like if it wasn't? Because we're humans and we need to apply, uh, apply that ability to be human and not be robots. Don't be boring. Seven, get personal. Name one great artist, one artist that is just renowned, massive, break th broke through onto a whole other level. Name one of those that you don't feel like you know personally, at least a little bit. And even if you can find one of those people, I bet you know that even if you find an artist that's incredibly renowned and, and massive that you don't think you know much about, I bet what you do know about them is that they're incredibly private. Look at that uh, musician Sia who always is hiding her face. We know that she must be private, right? That's even knowledge about them. I feel like if you want to connect with an audience, you need to be willing to put yourself out there. So how can you, maybe, you need, maybe it's time, maybe you're at a part in your career where you need to dive into a project that's all about you so that people get to know who you are and they can bond with you over the things that are you. All right, invest. Number eight, invest. Maybe you could save up money and invest in some kind of weird project. This is, I've seen a lot of people do this. I'm not gonna go into super deep detail about this. It's just a thought. Maybe you could put your money where your mouth is in some way. Number nine, Beyonce, the thing. Do you remember a few years ago, we were in this stage where content was coming at us every day. People were, you know, I think there's a lot of musicians out there that got into this weird uh, struggle where they thought it was all about quantity over quality because things were getting so noisy that people were just releasing tracks all the time to try to keep up. And then all of a sudden, Beyonce dropped that visual album overnight like, I don't know, nine music videos or something, and it just shut down the internet. What could you do secretly? Like, it's one of those things where you gotta go, if everybody's going that way, you gotta go the other way. You gotta say, everybody's dripping out content. It's not the best content, but it's regular. It's all the time. But one thing that you could use for your advantage is as everybody is getting more and more public, you could go more and more underground and spend six months working on a project that you don't tell a soul about. You know, going super deep and just loading it up and dropping the bomb like boom. My friend Kyle Sheely just did this actually. I've been talking about him a lot lately. We've been working, uh, we've been helping each other work on each, on each other's businesses and it's been super awesome and I really recommend doing that. Finding some friends that you can really invest in their careers and trade that investment. That's been brilliant for me. Thanks Kyle. But he just dropped a video called, uh, it's a poem for, about the internet 
and it's super good. And he spent all of this time just tinkering in the details, cra crafting this little delightful gem of a video and dropping it without uh, very much of a peep and just saying, ah, I've been working on this thing, boom. So how could you Beyonce this thing? All right, number 10, stronger in numbers. Okay, I have some buddies, Ghostly Ferns, you might have heard of them. Uh, just a collective of illustrators and designers. And I'm super inspired by how awesome that they've just gone all over the friggin' place. Everybody knows and loves these people. They are great humans and they definitely deserve it. But I really believe that there's something, not just to collaborating, but how can you form a critical mass where you're all working and sharing? You know, there, I'm, I'm so excited about this idea of people loving each other, like working for each other's benefit. I'm such a hippie in this way. Like I just love this idea that you would band together with a few friends, you know, two, three, five, seven, ten, eleven. There's a lot of, I could keep going, you get it, you know how to count, but this, there's this, you know, how can you gather together for each other's benefit and go spread the good news of each other's work and just slowly take over the world like uh, my friends from Ghostly Ferns. All right, be remarkable. That's number 11. This is a simple one, but I love it. Seth Godin, marketer, he did a whole book about this, uh, about being remarkable. And being remarkable means worthy of remarking upon. This is a tough one, but it's a great litmus test as you're making creative work, is if you saw this thing, would you feel the need to remark upon it? Would you feel the need to tell someone else about it? Seth Godin says that if you have an idea and you tell 10 friends about it and nobody else tells anybody else about it, you have a bad idea on your hands. And so this is a great test to just often ask yourself, this thing I'm making, is it worth remarking on? Actually, Jacob Escobedo, uh, who is huh, one of the head honchos on the creative team at uh, did you hear that head honcho? That, that's that nondescript term means I don't remember why enough. He's like a creative director or something like that. Uh, but he, he does amazing work, Jacob Escobedo. He does uh, work for the Shins. He's done some fantastic album covers. Love his work. But he talks about this idea of goat head in his Creative Mornings talk. He says that... Uh, he says that he once was like playing out in a field with friends when he was a kid and there was this refrigerator out in the field, which wasn't uncommon for where he was living. Like, I guess there was a lot of stuff around, but this refrigerator had a goat head on top of it and it freaked him out and he never forgot it. And so when he's making work, he's asking himself, does it have goat head? Does it have that weird thing that makes it stand out from everything else? And that simple litmus test can be quite remarkable, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, all right, 12, make a spectacle. 
I've been uh, hanging out a lot with These Are Friends. These Are Friends? No, these are not friends. They are friends, but they're actually called These Are Things. <laughs> it's a, a, a couple here in Columbus, Ohio that makes these super adorable uh, enamel pens and patches and uh, super funny, well-designed, fantastic stuff. Um, we'll be seeing them more on the podcast in upcoming months but these guys uh omar one of the one part of the team i noticed him say this a few times and i was like i love this idea he said that you know the things that have been the biggest deal to their business is when they've had the ability to create a spectacle whether that was at a trade show or online but how can you really craft an experience that could be described as a spectacle. Whenever I start getting into this mind frame, it all seems so much more easy. When we go away from being cool and fitting in, which is the opposite of being an artist, to how do I create something that warrants the term spectacle? All right, number 13, take a risk. Take a risk. This, is, this goes into this category as well. One of the things that I'm just blown away by is our current state of creativity where the, the norm, the, uh, the status quo is how do I just look like anybody else? Uh, I, I was just listening to an interview with Seth Godin on Debbie Millman's podcast, Design Matters, where he talks about how you get a job at a, at a corporate place that's tough to crack. Uh, you can either send in a resume that fits in better than anyone else's, which is incredibly difficult. That's a race to the bottom. That's that race to how can I, if I'm an illustrator, how can I stand out just by drawing better than anybody else? And that's the idea of how can I fit in better than anyone else? What if you asked yourself, how could I completely stop them in their tracks? Tim Ferriss talks about this and how he got into Princeton, I believe is where he went. He, he thought when he wrote his essay, his test scores weren't great, but when he applied, he wrote an essay that was designed to stop them in their tracks from the get-go. And I want to encourage you today to think about how could you take a risk, do something that you think people in your market and industry might raise their eyebrows at. If you can get to that eyebrow test level, you might be onto something. All right, 14 is combine these things. Woo! Jessica Walsh and Timothy Goodman, their 40 days of dating. I think this is a great example. If you're not familiar with the project, you probably live in a weird cave. Uh, but <laughs> the 40 days of dating project, uh, Jessica Walsh and Timothy Goodman, designers, uh, did this project where they dated for 40 days and they cataloged it with design and videos and collaborative videos with other people. And actually, if you go back through my list today, you're gonna find that they did about five of these things together. It was a collaboration. There was a Beyonce element where they dropped it on everybody's heads without anyone expecting it. They collaborated. They risked doing things that other designers had never done before. That's taken like at least four or five of these uh, standout things and combining them into a bigger project. So how can you take things from these lists and combine them for explosive effects? That was an explosive effect. Uh, 
<laughs> All right, number 15, a hook. A hook, a catch. If you're making a book, if it's a book pitch, if it's a kid's book, is there a thing that, ha that has this little quality this, is the, does the name have something catchy about it? Does it have something that can sink its hook into the reader? You'd be blown away when you go to pitch something. If it takes you 10 minutes to explain the idea, you don't have an idea. And I found it so much easier. And it's not, it's not really uh, logical for me initially. It takes me some extra work to get to a place where I have the hook. Like this book is about this. This uh, podcast is this. This Having this little hook. So there's a new show called Crashing. Pete Holmes uh, from You Made It Weird podcast has a new show on HBO. Uh, it sounds like I'm just promoting a bunch of this stuff. I'm not. These are just great examples of standing out. He One of the ways that he got his show on HBO was he had, it's not just about, it's not a show just about a comedian trying to get started. That's great. You know, that's a topic, but it doesn't have a hook. And he called the show Crashing because it's about a comedian that gets divorced and then crashes on other comedians' couches where hilarity ensues. But it had this clear selling point, this clear idea that was novel. And at least one half of creativity is being novel. Uh, there's a episode of On Being with Rex Young where he talks about the science of creativity. And he defines creativity as something that is both novel and useful. And so one part of that has got to have that novelty effect. Okay. <sighs> Woo! Another one I thought of is uh, that Boyhood movie. That movie had this hook of they took an actor and they actually filmed a movie over several years so you could watch this kid grow up in the movie in real time. That's an easy little thing that you could tell your friends about and all of a sudden you've got a hook in them. And so create projects and work that have a natural hook and keep that in mind. Number 16, why are you weird? What's the thing about you that you're insecure about? For instance, for a long time, I was insecure about my love of R&B, <laughs> of 90s R&B, boys to men, Craig David. I was listening to Craig David yesterday. Whew, that was fun times. And you know, there's a, there's a, uh, there's a, there's a, <laughs> I'm going into a tirade of trying to explain it away. Like, here's why it's okay that I listened to Craig David yesterday. I'm gonna leave it there. Okay, I'm just gonna say, I listened to Craig David yesterday and it was a good time. You know, uh, Seven Days, Rendezvous, Fill Me In. You know what I'm talking about. That's that 90s, uh, early 2000s R&B where you got the acoustic guitar making a, and making an appearance. And for me personally, one of the things I've learned to do is if I'm feeling insecure about something, it means that there's something about me that's different to the status quo. And instead of hiding that thing, how can you utilize it to make a splash? So maybe you're insecure that you live in some weird little town that nobody's ever heard about instead of Brooklyn, New York. Maybe you could do a project about that weird little town's history. Do something, do, do a whole project in a, about a place that no one's ever heard of and use that insecurity as an opportunity. 
Okay, number 17, take something lame and make it cool. Take uh, uh, <laughs> take something lame and make it cool. This is the art, this is what fashion does all the time is they're always looking, going back through history, finding something that we let go of because we thought it was lame and reclaiming it. Reclaim the lame, that's what I should have called this one. Maybe you need to look back throughout the history of your inspiration and find something that other people don't get, something that uh, people maybe wrote off Recent, recently actually. I've talked about this probably quite a bit on the podcast, but uh, I started getting back into like psychedelic work when everything else was mid-century modern minimalism. I started going maximal on my work. How could I build in extreme maximal psychedelia that was maybe not super on trend at the time? So reclaim the lame. 18, zig when they zag. One of the things you can do is just look around in your market, see what everybody's doing. Are you seeing a pattern? And instead of jumping on the trend, go the exact opposite way. Seth Godin, again, marketing genius, talks about how Silk did this. Silk, which is almond milk, uh, they did this when they had an explosive breakthrough. It wasn't when they first came out and they were making this almond milk and it was in its own section. It was when it got put in the milk section because it wasn't, uh, when it was all on its own, it didn't have anything different. It was just its own product. But once it got sat in a market where everything else was different than its, it, it, you know, a red thing, isn't going to necessarily draw any attention to it. But if it's surrounded by blue things, all of a sudden it's gonna stand out from the crowd. And when they moved the silk almond milk into the milk section, it stuck out like a sore thumb and started to sell like hotcakes. Uh, <laughs> so, so what could you do? Instead of noticing these patterns and trends as an opportunity to fit in, how can you take that information and do the exact opposite? Number 19, work for exposure. Work for exposure, what nasty words, right? Work for free just to get exposure. Here's the thing, I tell people to do that all the time, but I tell them this qualifier, don't do work for exposure for someone else. Don't do it for a brand, don't do it for someone who sends you an email that says, hey, I can't pay you, but I really will let you be seen, don't do that. Do it for yourself. Make work that has inherent value and give it away to trade for people's attention, but DIY that sucker. The podcast was that for me. I did other things in the past. I did Instagram projects where I thought I'm gonna deliver real significant value Maybe it's just a little uh, life lesson. Maybe it's new science fact. Maybe whatever it is. What can you give away value-wise to a trade for people's attention? Work for exposure. Just don't do it for anybody else. Number 20, polarize people. Appeal to certain folks and not to others. One of the things I'm blown away by in creativity is I meet these people that have amazing personalities and all these crazy interests when you're meeting them in person, yet in their work, it's completely absent. And I'm like, why don't you put that weird uh, 
new age practice that you've got going on over here. That's a big part of who you are. Why is that not in your work? You're a skateboarder. I mean, this person who's skateboarding all over the dang land, you know, skates to everywhere he goes. Not one skating reference in their design work. And I'm saying, when I ask them that, their response is, well, I don't want to, you know, put off people. But you do want to put off the wrong people so that you can turn on the right people. Don't be afraid to polarize. 21. Dive deep in the details. How can you deliver a delightful delight by going deep in the details? How can you just work on something where you dive super deep into crafting something unique and in one of the things uh, I heard a definition of delightful as the willingness to obsess over details that don't have any consequence. When we run into something that has just been uh, crafted, even when it when there's no immediate purpose other than beauty or humor or appreciation that we take notice. So maybe you need to make some pieces or some work where you're really zooming in at 1600% in perfecting that bad baby. 22, wow factor. Do a super piece. I do this every few years. I take every trick that I've got that everything that I've learned over the years and I do uh, a meal that where I'm going to town on the mousse-bouche. I'm going crazy on the appetizer. I'm baking in every... I got cheeses, oils, perfumes, the garnishes. Every single thing is on that plate that I can do. And I do a super piece, one illustration, where I take it from start to finish Maybe, it's a, maybe you're a songwriter. Do everything that you've learned to date and bake it into one super song. I'm sure there are ways that it won't be the best in, in certain ways, but in other ways, maybe you can just stop some people in their tracks. Okay. Number 23, go novel. Novelty effect. Go check out that... Uh, there's a, the top podcast right now is Missing Richard Simmons. It's about Richard Simmons disappearing from the public eye and trying to figure that out. And I really think that thing cut through because there was just a quality about it that was unusual and strange. And so maybe there's some work that you could do. Maybe there's a song you could write where it's a topic that is just a little bit weird. 24. That, that brings me to 24, which is just get weird. Just get weird. One of the ways, so me and my cousins, when we were younger, we loved uh, public weirdness. And uh, sometimes we, you know, we didn't have a concept behind what we were doing. Sometimes we did. But if we didn't have a concept, we would just try to combine things in such a bizarre fashion that people couldn't help but be annoyed or be weirded out. And one time we went to the dollar store, we bought these little uh, sparkly caps that, uh, I don't even know what they are. They're just like little weird caps that are have these elastic strings that plop on your head. We bought two of those. We got feather boas. We bought helium balloons. And we walked arm in arm throughout Walmarts. And uh, people were not 
fans of it and it just made us so happy that <laughs> we just, it was just a weird, bizarro spectacle. I don't even know exactly how you might apply our weird feather boa hat, sparkly hat thing to <laughs> helium balloon thing to your artwork, but I really just wanted to tell you about that time that we did that. Uh, and then 25, number 25 is long game. The old long game effect. All these things that I'm talking about, I think in some ways are talking about these short-term bursts of silliness, short-term risk, these things where you're doing something novel uh, for effect to break out into a new stratosphere. And I do think all of that is really, really important. But beyond that, I think one of the things that really stands out is a dedication to authentic work over a long period of time. And I just want to end on this note, number 25, long game, that one of the things that really stands out and makes a splash bigger than anything is just holding on longer than anyone else. This is one of the things I encourage people that I work with all the time is, how can you make enough money to survive and just just while just last longer than anybody else. You know, I look back over the years to people that started out when I was first starting out and just 90% of them are gone. They're not illustrators anymore. They're not making new work, at least not publicly. And I often wonder where all those people went. You know, the, the bands that released a really, really great two albums eight years ago and they're no more. But one of the things is that quietly, just continually getting better at your craft, releasing album after album after album. There are lots of bands that just have that slow burn, that quiet, disciplined dedication. And so I do encourage you to get novel, get weird, get your feather boa out and scream yeehaw at the top of your lungs. You need to do that from time to time. Have little breakthroughs, but don't let it overshadow the long game dedication to making this thing happen. So I believe that great creative work is the baseline it's not the finish line, it's the starting line of a creative career. Your, your creative career doesn't get started until you have great craft, until you've got really remarkable work, work that's just undeniably fantastic. And you know, sometimes I work with people and they, they wanna focus all on the breakout, all on the marketing, all on the next job, and they don't wanna face the facts that maybe their work isn't where it needs to be. And I get that, and I'm, and I'm not, uh, I don't want this episode to overshadow the fact that we need, all of us need to be dedicating, dedicated to making better and better work. One little encouragement I just wanna give you is I often think about if I could show my 
18 year old self who was just starting to mess around on Photoshop and uh, making these screen print looking uh, <laughs> designs for fake bands. If I could show that person the artwork that I made this week, I know for a fact that I would, 18 year old self would be like, whoa, there's no way that I will ever be able to do that. I can't imagine going that far. And I think one of the thrills of being a creative person is just watching what discipline and execution in making piles and piles of work, watching the power of that dramatic increase. And I encourage you today, if that's something you're struggling with, hating your work, if you've been making work, compare the thing you made this week to the thing that you made seven years ago, and I guarantee you, you'll be blown away. So I think great work is a baseline, but beyond that, you've got to be willing to stand out. What do you call an artist that doesn't want to stand out? I don't know, but you can't call them an artist. Being an artist is not about playing it cool, going below the radar. And so today, as I've encouraged you with all of these different ways of thinking about breaking out, there's a big underlying question. Do you really want to get on the prompter as you're sat there at the Pacers game? Do you really want to see your face up there on screen? Or are you just pretending to yell? Are you just barely phoning in the dance moves, doing the Macarena, fitting in with everybody else? That's a big question. What's stopping you from putting yourself out there? Are you afraid that the squeaky wheel doesn't just get the oil, it gets replaced? gets kicked out of the game. You've got to ask yourself, do you want the reward bad enough to risk ridicule? And if you don't, maybe you're not ready. And I want to encourage you all to remember this very poignant statement. Remember Shia LaBeouf. Shia LaBeouf, that's what I want to leave you. Like seven years ago, he made, I, I, I hate doing this, I'm not trying to remind everybody of Shia's, Shia's sins from the yesteryear, but five or six years ago, he did some things creatively that are not good. Let's just say that, we'll leave it there. These days, his latest antics are getting praise from all kinds of folks. And I just want to encourage you with whatever risk you take, whatever way you step out, if you do the wrong move, if it's not quite right, people might not be paying attention anyway. You have the blessing of relative obscurity until you don't. And so take a risk, get your feather boa on, and start screaming yeehaw. Let's get moving. Dudes, another episode in the bag. Uh, 
hope you liked this uh, outrageous episode. If you wouldn't mind, if you think that there's someone in your life or in your network, in your following that might benefit from this, spread the love. Let's be abundant thinkers who want other people to succeed as well. It doesn't have to be win-lose. Actually, it's proven that the people that are the most successful are people that see other people winning as good for them too. And so I just encourage you to share it, help somebody else too. Thanks for listening. Thanks for loving the podcast. Thanks for the interview or the interviews, the reviews on iTunes. Dudes, I want to thank you for... uh, I want to thank our syndicate, Illustration Age. You can find this show at illustrationage.com slash creative pep talk. I want to thank Yoni Wolf and his band Y for our theme music. Got to thank my big buddy, Nate Utesh, and his band Metavari for all the other tunes. You guys make this podcast sound so much delight, so much more delightful than I could on my own with my ridiculous stories and antics. Thank you guys. Guys, I'm dedicated to bringing you that fresh pile of pep every single week because for me, in order to keep making, I gotta keep the hope alive that what I'm doing counts even if no one's paying attention at the moment. And so do whatever it takes to stay 